I got a word off that altar. Are you ready? Then everybody, wherever you are, give him the best praise of the day. And we will get busy. Amen. You can be seated wherever you are. Now, if you start getting quiet on me, I'll have the incomparable Dr. Wendell Lowe cut loose on you and uh, he'll bring the glory to you. <laughs> so we're glad to be here. We're thankful. Seven years and look at this crowd on a COVID Sunday morning. <laughs> to God be all the glory. I want to talk to you today about a subject called meet me at the altar. We have these, I believe, in the pews. And uh, if you want to, just go ahead and pass one down. Pass them down. What is it? Pull one down, pass it around. 99 PRP books on the wall. So just, just grab one. If you don't already have yours, there in Columbus, you do the same. If you're online, you can get yours by just clicking that button. All the information is right there on your screen. God has directed me. Now, I don't say that every time I stand up, but I can tell you that God has directed my heart to raise up 100,000 prayer warrior intercessors before the throne of God to bring the convicting power of the Lord Jesus Christ back to our hearts, back to our homes, back to our preachers, back to our churches, back to our neighborhoods, back to our cities, back to our states, back to our nation. And I'm speaking to the world this morning, back to your nation as well. May the earth rejoice in the glory of the Lord. May the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the what? as the waters cover the sea. Somebody shout amen. amen. So we're going to begin in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 30. 1 Kings, that's right before 2 Kings. And there ain't no 3 Kings, so don't look for that. 1 Kings in your Bible, find it. If you have to look in the concordance, just help yourself. It's back in the old covenant. Now if you have a phone, you can look it up on your Bible app. I'll be reading from the, from the uh, modern English version, some from the King James version, some from the Passion Translation, some from the New Living Bible. So I've got about five of them ready for you today so you can bounce back and forth on your phone. All you do is click up there at the top and where it says, where it says, uh, translation, just click on that and it'll give you whichever one I'm speaking from at that particular moment. Or you could just trust me. That was supposed to be funny. What's the matter? Did Notre Dame lose this weekend or what? Oh, they did. They went. They won. Well, so did the Buckeyes. Oh, H. No, Columbus is shouting I-O-I-O. 
but yesterday all day I wore my Notre Dame sweatshirt. Yeah, they're ahead of the Buckeyes in the national polls, at least for this week. That's supposed to be a joke too. Bring the coffee in here. Spread it out. Is the coffee deal open? Because I wanted one this morning. Y'all didn't take care of me. That's right. Tall mocha frappuccino, skim milk, no whip. You got it? Somebody will go out and get me one. I don't want one right now. I don't want one. Have you found 1 Kings chapter 18? If you haven't, we will have an altar call later and you may respond so we can teach you what the B-I-B-L-E is. Amen? First Kings chapter 18 and verse 30. Now don't look for it in your book because I've already rewritten the book twice and it's only been out a week. So I'll be adding a lot, a lot of things to it. First Kings 18, 30. Elijah, that prophet of God, taken up in a whirlwind and a chariot of fire because he restored and rebuilt the altar of the Lord. Somebody shout, meet me at the altar. So it is that Elijah that called out the 350 prophets of Baal and 20 prophets of Asherah, called them out and built an altar and said, the God that answers by fire, he shall be God. So they called on their gods. They wept and cried. They cut themselves with stones. They rolled on the floor. They kicked and screamed, but their God did not answer. And so Elijah, the man of God said, well, maybe he's on a journey. Some folk act like their God is on a journey. I said, is your God on a journey? Or pre-adventure, he said, perhaps he's asleep. How many of you are glad for a God that never sleeps, a God that never slumbers? And know this, neither does your adversary. Neither do, do the alien armies of the Antichrist, which are arrayed against every one of you. And I'm going to prove to you this morning that attacks are on the increase. Okay, I'm in the wrong church today. If you have not, if you have been attacked in the last seven days, I dare you wherever you are to get up and acknowledge you've been attacked. If you feel like, if you feel like you are the only one left in the devil's Rolodex, you don't even, sit down. You don't even know what a Rolodex is, do you? You do? Yeah. Anyway, it's a thing they had before cell phones. Amen. Everybody's address would be in there and you had to go through it and it'd roll around. And I feel like sometimes me and my family are the only ones left in the devil's Rolodex. Now the issue is it wouldn't be half as hard if it wasn't for so-called believers. They're not believers, they're churchgoers. There's nothing worse than a doubly dead plucked up by the roots dirty, rotten, stinking hunk of sinful flesh that sits in church every Sunday. Who have no control over themselves, no control over their 
fleshly appetites and certainly no control over their wagging tongue. I will remind you if you're not watching me on Wednesday night, all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. It's important. I'll get back around to it. So Elijah poured three times four barrels of water on his sacrifice, called on the name of the Lord one time, and God answered by fire. Now what that tells us is that we get ourselves in the proper posture. If we find ourselves in the proper place, we will receive unimaginable power. But we got to find that place. I said, we got to find that place. So your Bible said, Elijah said to the people, come near to me. It's always amazing how when people are in sin, they don't want to get close to me. They will do anything to scurry away from my presence because I carry the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You can tell when folks that have a different spirit than you are operating in get around you. It's like magnets that are turned in opposite direction. They're supposed to stick together, but instead they separate from one another. Uh, I'm preaching up in here. You getting this? I can't hear you, Columbus. Here we go. He said, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. Watch, that was broken, torn, and thrown down. Now, the great watchman knee, this is in your Bible or in your book, same thing. <laughs> it's because it's full of Bible. Page one. Do you have a page one in your Bible? I mean, in your book. Or you, or you got a faulty book. Do you have it? Look at that first quote. Now is the hour. Shout right now. Things are about to change. Irreversibly, undeniably, unequivocally, and without question, if you hear the word of the Lord, your mind is about to change. Your body is about to change. Your bank account is about to change. Your family is about to change. A fire from heaven is about to be released. Now y'all getting me preaching, I'm just trying to teach. Shall this is the hour. Now is the time. This is the place. You are the people. Why not you? Why not here? Why not now? God always moves in the most unlikely of places among the most unlikely of people. Gideon was the least of his household. But the Bible said God put Gideon on like a garment. Are you ready for God to put you on and wear you up and down the streets of Mishawaka, up and down the streets of Elkhart, Indiana, up and down the streets of South Bend, Indiana? Are you ready? 
uh, you may not like the next part of the quote. Now is the time, the hour, that we should prostrate ourselves. Oh, I thought we were supposed to stand up and be proud. You're quiet. You remember this, my dear brother and sister. Everything in the kingdom of God, of which you are now hopefully a part, is diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive to everything in the kingdom you came out of. You cannot transpose worldly kingdom principles in the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. The way to get in this kingdom is not to grab. The way to get in this kingdom is open your hand and give. Oh, you didn't hear a word I said. Here it is. You want to be lifted up. Well, up is not up in this kingdom. Up is not climbing the corporate ladder. Up is not climbing over top of people you're supposed to love in order to cut them down to try to make your pitiful self look like somebody. What did you come out to see today, Elkhart? A reed shaking in the wind or a man that came out of the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey that ain't nobody paid my way. This is the time to prostrate ourselves. Up is not up, up is down. God exalts the man. Excuse me while I quote your Bible. God exalts the man who humbles himself. Prostrate ourselves before God. Here it is. Willing to be convicted. How come you not running around the building? I thought you got your buck on. Thought you had that shoe dust and anointing. Huh? When's the last time you were convicted? Oh, I want a blessing. You just be blessed all the way to hell. God told me to raise up 100,000 people who would pray specifically every day for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come again to our lives, to our preachers, to our churches. We, as Jeremiah said, can no longer blush. What does that mean? You blush when you're ashamed. You bow when you've been humbled. Now is the time, would y'all let me get through the first quote? This happens every time I come over here. Now. Shout Columbus for the glory of God in this house. Yeah. 
What was I telling you? We can't blush. We're We're not ashamed. Because we believed the damnable doctrine that is sending millions to hell. Heard it preached again last week by one of the largest ministries in America that y'all follow like a bunch of little sheep. Because he charismatic. So is Mick Jagger. I don't know. You following him? I don't care if he's charismatic. I care if he's anointed. <laughs> Preaching a gospel that is not the gospel. You better beware. You are living in the greatest lying generation that has ever walked this planet. Nobody cares about lying. Nobody. Christians lie with reckless abandon. Because they believe the lie that sin, this was the subject of the message, sin won't send you to hell. Next step, there is no hell. So follow the track. If there is no sin, there is no forgiveness. If there needed to be no forgiveness, why was there a cross? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. I can't, I can't believe that we listen to people that attempt to rewrite the Bible. The problem is believers so-called are never in the Bible for themselves. They get their 60 seconds on social media and think they're doing God's service. All right, I, I got I to go on. We need to prostrate ourselves once again over the altar of God in humble submission and be convicted afresh. It's in your book. And be convicted afresh of our sins. He that says he has no sin is a liar. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've got it later in the message, but if, if, if you know, uh, we had a, we had a, a young person, it's, it's normally the young people, you know, because they've been nursed on this bottle of false doctrine. But she, she had to leave our church, and I just love her to pieces. She's just a wonderful person. But she said, I can't take hearing about sin. I can't take hearing about hell. I can't take hearing about the great white throne judgment seat of Christ. I said, well, I guess not. You ready? You ready for it? Why is it quiet? This is not playtime. There's no jungle gym in here. No sandbox for you to play in. Time to grow up into the fullness of the stature of the son and daughter of God. Be convicted. Say convicted. Say conviction. 
Now, here's another issue. You can write this in your book if you want to. Here's another issue. We don't understand the difference in conviction and condemnation. What that person was under was conviction. What they were feeling was condemnation. Well, I can't help you're not spiritually mature enough to know the difference. Conviction is to your body, is to your spirit, what pain is to your body. Pain is not your enemy. Pain is an indication that you have an enemy that has invaded your space. Without pain, you could walk down a beautiful sandy beach in Florida or somewhere, cut your foot on a bottle, feel no effect thereof, and bleed out before you got back to your blanket. Without pain, without conviction, you walk around scarred by sin, stunted by sin, your growth stifled by sin, your power eradicated by sin. And if anybody says sin, you point their, your finger at them and say they're condemning you. There is therefore now no condemnation. To, whoa, 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 whoa. You Bible quoter, quote the whole verse. There is therefore now no condemnation. To who? To those that walk in the spirit. When you walk it in the spirit, you don't lie and you don't listen to a lie and you don't repeat a lie. Lying liars. Woo, good God, I'm preaching up in here. I like it in here. So where do we go? Well, in my opinion, we go to the altar. Shout, meet me at the altar. Altars have always had significance right there in your Bible or book. Throughout history, as long as men and women have had a thought toward God, they have erected altars as memorials to him. An altar, that's the place where we offer, oh, hold on, sacrifices. Anybody can sing a tune on a clear day at noon. Lord, give me a song to sing at midnight. When trouble all around is closing in. Now, said the Hebrew writer, let us offer unto God the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Pastor Chris, it is not a sacrifice of praise when folks are just lifting their hands and everybody around them is singing so beautifully and Elder Lowe is just going crazy on that B3 organ and the lights are, that's not a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise is when the doctor looks at you and says you have to die and cannot live and then you get your dance on. 
a sacrifice is when you don't have a dollar to change, but you take out the change and put it in the offering. That's a sacrifice. A sacrifice is not attending church. A sacrifice is when you have to wade through COVID to get in the building. That's a sacrifice. Woo! Which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name. What is a sacrifice of praise? The fruit of your lips. Open your mouth with a mighty decree and I will fulfill it. Now you'll see the words that you say, so shall it be. Jeremiah, what do you see? I see the rod of an almond tree blossoming and bearing fruit in the middle of the winter. An almond tree is like an apple tree. You got apple orchards around here? Do you go out in the middle of January with 15 inches of snow on the ground and see red ripe apples hanging in your orchard? No, why? It's out of season. A sacrifice of praise is a praise that's out of season. Oh, somebody getting it right about now. Somebody saying, oh, you mean I should be praising him now, right in the middle of my mess. Watch what he said. And I will see that fruit, God said, the sacrifice of praise, giving thanks to his name, bearing fruit in the middle of the winter. Giving when you don't have a job. Tithing on your check from the federal government. Oh, it got quiet up in here in a hurry. A sacrifice of praise is to walk out in the middle of death and start shouting about life. That's what your Savior did when he hang on Calvary's angry, mean, biting beam and shouted with a loud voice. Tetelestia, tetelestai, it is finished. It looked like he was finished, and he said it was. So when it looks like you're finished, you might take an example from the Savior and start shouting, you're finished. This good preaching, I don't care if you're Episcopalian. An altar, traditionally, is a place where we offer sacrifices, where we meet with God, where we come with a heartfelt humility to offer worship to him. When's the last time you were at the altar? Where is your altar? Altars mentioned 350 times, over 350 times in your Bible. Why do we know so little about it? I'll tell you why. Because like crosses, altars are disappearing. They're to 
old school. They're passe. Uh, They're so last century. Fellow invited me to come preach at his church. I walked in. I said, well, can I see the place you'd invite me to come? I'm so honored, so humbled. And I walked in, and, and the chairs were right up to here. Building wasn't very big, maybe, maybe 1,200. But the chairs were all the way up here. I said, you have four services on Sunday. Is your building full, everyone? Oh, no. We do that for the convenience of the people. How about you move the chairs back, put in an altar for the conviction of the people? That, I built up to that. That's pretty good right there, but didn't get, didn't get the response I was hoping for. It's inescapably absolutely clear that the altar is absolutely the place where God himself condescends to come and meet with men. Could it be that the disappearance of the cross and the disappearance of the altar directly coincide with the modern church, modern church's inability to sustain a move of God. Our postmodern, post-Christian church world, church culture, the altar has been done completely away. It's fallen sharply out of vogue. If you talk to modern church builders, they never mention an altar. Because we've been baptized in branding. Now the cross and an altar of sacrifice is not easily branded. (laughs) It's not Bozo the Clown. It's not Foo Foo the Dog. It's not Nashville has-beens and Motown wannabes. It's not a preacher that's super-powered and a program that's always new. But it is the bedrock of a purely authentic gospel. Let me just stand in the gap here. Let me just announce to Elkhart, Indiana, Columbus, Ohio, let me just announce across America and around the world, I will make up the hedge. I will stand in the gap. I will become an intercessor, not for my benefit, not for my bank account, not for my pleasure, I will make up the gap and declare and decree you will not have the cross and you will not take our altars. They will not become relics of the past. There are all kinds of altars. Some of them are padded. This one has a little bit of padding on it. 
is 110, 115 years old. Miss Joni brought it from London, England, where some of the great, great preachers preached for decades. An altar, an altar that I got born again at was a two by six board with two by four legs in front of a wooden pulpit on a dirt floor with a 45 watt light bulb hanging on a cord from the ceiling because we couldn't afford a hundred watt. But it didn't matter. God met me there. He met me there at the altar. It's available to everyone who wants to be born again. But it's not a standing altar. It's a kneeling altar. It's a place of humility. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of consecration, a place of dedication. It's a place of surrender. Here we sing all to Jesus, I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. Humbly, I surrender all. Along with the disappearance of the cross and the altar, we have also seen the disappearance of revival. Two people get healed in a meeting, we call it revival. Ten people get born again in a service, we call it revival. We believe if we're lining them up, laying hands on them and knocking them down, we've got revival. We believe if folks are running around the building and the service is very loud and powerful, we've got revival. Actually, most of the time, all we have is an entertainment. Everybody came in. It was really exciting, and so folks felt better when they left. Revival is not when you feel better when you leave. It's when you feel worse when you leave. Okay, it's quiet. So the question remains, what, what, what might we expect revival to look like? For most folk, it's been so long since they've seen one, they really don't know what it is. So some slick-haired, shiny-shoed guy in skinny jeans tells them they got a revival and they just believe it. Because they've never seen one, it's hard to miss what you've never had. So anything can be pawned off on you with great silvery-haired saints like precious Ruth Ann making her way winging beyond the starry skies into her eternal reward. People are leaving the planet that really know what revival is. Yeah. 
and they look at the modern church and they shake their heads in bewilderment and wonder and ask in their hearts, what are we doing? If true revival's never been experienced, how will we know when we've got one? Most believers sitting in churches today have never seen a revival. Some of us grew up in them. Some of us lived in them. I never remember my parents saying, are we going to church this Sunday? I was a pretty good baseball pitcher, Elders Peters. I was a pretty good baseball pitcher. But I had to leave the team because they had practice on Wednesday night. And my parents said, no, 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 no. Do you know what you're teaching your children? You're teaching them that Little League Baseball means more than their relationship with God, and you better stop it. Oh, dear God. I know what it is. I get a patriarchal spirit on me when I come in here. I get a fathering spirit on me when I come in here. I am so weary with leaders in the church. Oh, we, we can't come on Sunday cause, or on, on, on Wednesday night because Sally got cheerleading and Bobby got soccer. What's wrong with you? Well, we, we're good parents. No, you're not. You're not good parents when you train your children that Little League soccer means more than them being in the house of God watching you worship. Let them play kickball on another night. Why is it quiet? You can't get young married couples in the church anymore because they have to have a 15-minute service. They got to have Bozo the Clown and Fufu the Dog. They got to have balloons in every room and sucker in every crib. They're going to be there 45 minutes and you better bless God, take care of them better than Disney World ever could because they've got soccer to get to after all. It's a terrible indictment when spaghetti dinners draw bigger crowds than prayer meetings. See, I, I got about 20% of you with me. The others are asking, what is this? This is supposed to be all about me. This is supposed to be about you better tell me something I like. This is about you better entertain me. This is about the temperature better be right. This is about I don't want to sit by that person. This is about how dare you get in my seat. I don't know who the pastor is here, but I hope he invites me back. I'd like to have a return engagement. Oh, we're, we're in revival, Pastor. Really? Really? Hold on here. Really? We're in revival. Let's see. 
Let's take a cursory glance at the current church culture conditions. Let's look at America alone. It should be enough to convince even the greatest spiritual optimist that we are not in revival. Now go ahead and burn your crayons up sending me letters. Get out of the playpen, get your crayons, write me a letter. Tell me how we're in revival. Church attendance is down. The number of churches in existence is down. The average church size in America with everybody starting one on every corner and every storefront, the average church attendance in America is 75 on Sunday morning. 85% of our churches are in decline. Three million people last year walked out of evangelical churches never to return. Three million. So just keep getting on your social media and show your super-powered band and laying hands on somebody and call it revival. While our churches are dying, the people are dying, the Holy Spirit is withdrawing, the Holy Spirit is being disallowed Why is it so quiet? Would you, would you do better if I told you we were in revival? Without preaching like this, we will never be in revival. And that's the reason we haven't seen one for a generation. Here's another reason. Two-thirds of all evangelical churches in America will never have one single training session on evangelism, personal evangelism, in the lifetime of the church. 50% of our churches will not add one single member to their roles this year. Revival! You think that's a pretty big percentage? That means only five out of 100 born-again evangelical Christians sitting in churches today. 95% will never in their lifetime bring one soul to Jesus Christ. Revival! This is not where you get revival. This is where revival has been. Oh, wait a minute. With no one watching but God, 
I'm not talking about praying your little confession when you're driving down the road, taking your kids to school. When's the last time you went to your altar? When's the last time you cried out as did the sweet psalmist of Israel? God revealed to me the hidden sin of my heart. Why am I powerless? Why can't I control myself? Why is poverty eating through my life like a cancer? Why are my children rebellious? Here is where you find the answer. Thank God for counseling. But before you ever pay $150 a half hour, how about you give an offering of $15 and come to the altar? Every one of these statistics I shared with you is before the Wuhan pandemic hit the earth. Churches were shut down from coast to coast, not only in America, but completely and entirely around the world. A church that was already struggling with indifference and insensitivity to the suffering, sighing, crying, dying, hordes of humanity around them has become even more self-centered and introverted than ever before. Ask the question, do we really care that our own family members are on their way to eternity without God in a place called hell? Do we care? Well, we say yes, but where's the fruit? Simply put, you and I find ourselves living in a generation that simply does not, not only know revival, they don't know God. It's self-evident that we should be desperate for revival. But then you can't miss what you've never had. I wanna share some characteristics of what a real revival looks like. I've got 10 of them. Are you ready? Yes. No, you're not. Maybe I'll give you one and give you the other nine when the pastor invites me back. How you doing, Columbus? Sorry. Hallelujah. How long I've been preaching? Don't you hate the one saved guy that yells out, not long enough. You are disturbing the unbelievers, brother. They want to get to Perkins' house of prophecy and pancake. They... How long have I been preaching? Seriously. 47? Want me to go a little bit more? 
I mean, you only invite me once every two years. So. And I don't know if when I'm preaching on that screen up yonder, y'all walk out halfway through or not. I don't know. I can't see you. I think I'm going to put a camera up in here shining on y'all so I can have it on the front row in Columbus and look at you. Ha-ha! Well, glory! Number one, are you ready? Timing. Timing. Revivals historically arise during a time of great danger and spiritual lethargy. That's us! <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I had to make myself a message I could shout about spiritual lethargy. You know what lethargy is, don't you? Sleeping. Dormant. Stagnant. Regressing repressed, depressed, suppressed, oppressed, six-sevenths of the way to being possessed. Thank you, Brother Sumrall. Spiritual lethargy. Spiritual lethargy is, can we have less services and can we have them shorter? Because we're busy. Right. Right. Well, Daniel prophesied about that. In the last day, people will run to and fro. Just running. You raise chickens. Okay, I can tell by your laughter that would be no. I knew. If you ever raised chickens like we did growing up, I still do. But if, if we, like when we were growing up, I raised them now for eggs. We raised them then for eggs and for dinner. And when I'd have to go out and prepare said chicken, there, there was a beheading involved. And just as soon as that little bird was sent off to glory, to be, to be anointed into ministry. <laughs> he would start. He'd be, he'd be. Only I can make a joke in the midst of a message on spiritual lethargy. Praise God. He'd take off running. You've heard the saying running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Chickens, Sydney said, is that for real? Yeah, Sydney, they don't all come fried in a box. They were somewhere before they got there. When I first started raising chickens for eggs, Joni said, I don't want no egg from no chicken. I said, well, I got some geese too, you want one of them? Amen. But a chicken runs around. Some of them can live for months. Yeah. Why are you looking at me funny? I thought you folk were from the country. I'm in the wrong place. You're supposed to be from Kentucky. You think the only place chicken comes from is Kentucky Colonel. Yes, 
you do. Yes, you do. I'm going to get you a chicken. I'm going to get you a chicken. In your city backyard. They just need a little old coop about that big. Then you go out there and, and then it's done. Well, yeah. Dear God, I didn't know I had to go into an agriculture lesson here. I, I, just, I just wanted to make the statement. People run around like a chicken with its head cut off. But it's not a good illustration if you don't understand it. <laughs> they run into the side of the barn and so forth. So it's good to hold their legs when the deed is done. That's all. When does revival come? When people are running around like chickens with their heads cut off. No time for God. No time for church. Schedule my prayer. Schedule my worship. Schedule my church attendance. Schedule when I give my offering. Schedule. And could we under God please have 12 marriage seminars a year? So we can try to keep our homes together. Here's where you keep your home together. This is not Miss Joni, but we'll pretend it is. Come here, wife. Now kneel down there. Now God, do something about this woman. You know what a woman did to Adam, God. This, this woman that thou hast given me, get in an altar. Make one beside your bed. My dad always made ours out of, this actually is mine and Joni's altar. This is the centerpiece of our whole home. It's where we go when we've got trouble. I don't run to you. All you'd want to do is use your tongue and wag it about me. It's pitiful that Christians can't expose their needs to each other because somebody will put it on social media 10 minutes later. In their cryptic little messages. I rebuke you. Block. Goodbye. How about you take this and get it on here? God, I vow that I will never, ever use this which you've given me to destroy somebody else's happiness. Do you know what God calls that? The definition of destroying another's happiness in your Bible is called murder. You don't have to stick a knife in their back. All you got to do is post a tweet. It's quiet here. Maybe I'll come back tomorrow night and the next night and the next night and the next night.
a third of the people are like, yeah. The other two thirds are like, I got bingo on Monday. How about getting bingo on the altar? How about getting your car on the altar? How about getting your family? My father used our kitchen or our living room coffee table. And we'd make us all join hands. There are only four of us. I'm the only one left. We join hands around the coffee table. My dad would begin every prayer with, God, this is our family. We've come here for you to help us. When's the last time you gathered your family around an altar? When's the last time you visited the altar? Revival, the reason I'm shouting about spiritual lethargy and spiritual quietness and spiritual backwardness and spiritual backsliding and churches declining and nobody witnessing their faith is one simple reason. It gives me reason to shout because that's the breeding ground of revival. At some point, somebody's going to get tired of church as usual enough to find an altar. And it doesn't take everybody. Revival. Conviction leads to repentance. Repentance leads to revival. Revival leads to awakening. We got people crying out for an awakening and a third grade awakening. I praise God for that. But you hadn't had a revival yet. And, and, and then we got people crying out for revival that nobody's repented yet. And then we've got nobody repenting because ain't nobody been convicted yet. Let me, I'm going to give you a couple and I'll come back to them later. I'm, 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 real, I'm, I'm winding up. That laugh said, Sure. Look at what Charles Finney said on page uh, 17. The next time I do a book, please put page numbers on both pages. See, it's got 16, but not 17. It's, I'm just fixing things. Listen to what Finney said. Revival is a renewed conviction of sin. That's a revival. A revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, which is followed by an intense desire to live in an obedient life to God. It is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. Where do you get a picture of revival? Gethsemane. People crack me up always asking God, break my will, God. Parents praying for children, break their will, God. They're just so willful. God made you willful. Watch this now. God does not want a mind to be blank. He wants it to be renewed. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the mercy of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service. And be not conformed or made like this world, but be transformed or differently made than this world by the renewing of your mind in that book. How about we get one of these, we get one of these open on one of these, and we get on our knees. How about that? No, what we need are more life groups. More next steps classes. I think we just need leaders to get an altar. That way they wouldn't be squabbling with each other all the time. The preacher wouldn't have to spend half his time separating the saints from tearing each other's heads off. A mind that's renewed. Emotions. Okay. Mind, will, emotions. That's your soul. We have to get them on the altar. You have to get your mind on the altar. How? Renew it in God's Word. Don't let it think whatever it wants to think. It's crazy. Some of you driving here this morning, blowing your horn at people and saying, would to God my horn was a gun. A mind that's renewed. Emotions that are not controlling, but are controlled. You wouldn't offend nearly as many people if you'd learn to engage your gray matter before you open your pie hole. Quote that. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're doing. Think about how it affects somebody other than you. And then a will that is submitted. God doesn't want to break your will. He didn't break Jesus' will. Jesus didn't pray for the Father to break his will. He said, not my will, thy will be done. That's a submitted will. But I don't want to go to church, but I will. Well, I don't want to get up at 3 a.m. and pray when nobody can see me praying because I'm a Pharisee and I need everybody to know I'm praying. I'm smiling. (laughs) Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Look at that two lines and he hasn't talked about anybody else yet. He hasn't asked for a new car. He hasn't asked for a financial breakthrough. He hasn't asked for a healing. He hasn't asked for more joy. Hide not your face, hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquities. I was gonna get to it in one of my 10 points, but I'll just throw it at you now. Here's when you can stop repenting. You ready? 
because there's a deadline, there's a break off. Here's when you no longer need to repent. When you stop sinning. Well, no, we just repent once and that's all done. And then we just live however we want because we're under grace. You're in for a rude awakening, my dear brother and sister. Oh, God, David said. Oh, God. Oh, God. I spent the first two-thirds of my life thinking God's name, first name was O. And that's not bad. Because an O is a woe. An O is a this pains me. Another great man of God I was going to share with you, it's in the book, said it's not the lack of sin or it's not the committing of sin that is the problem in the modern church. It is that there is no sorrow for it. Said he, the difference in God's people and the people of the world is God's people are supposed to walk in godly sorrow. Now, some of you feel like I'm preaching defeatism. This is not defeatism at all. It's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. The misery you're experiencing right now is because you don't have an altar. Because that's where you can leave it. <laughs> you can bring it right here. You can lay it down. And you can get up and walk away as free as a human being can be free. Hallelujah. Renew a right spirit within me. Now, I don't know about you. There are days that my spirit's not right. Well, you didn't have to amen so loud there, Nate. Amen. <laughs> you know, there are times when, when your spirit's just not right. And you need to recognize that. Go spend five minutes at an altar somewhere. Do what Brother Summerall used to do when I'd stay in his hotel room. Three o'clock in the morning, he'd get up and close the door to the bathroom, kneel down in front of the toilet, put the seat down and make an altar and pray. Get yourself right. Find an altar. Renew. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me with your willing spirit. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for what you're doing, for what you're just about to do. I understand. I thank you for your direction. I bless you for it. Confirm your word now with signs following. In the glorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the King of revival, the Lord of the altar. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around if you would honor the Lord just for a moment. I know I've been long, and, and I apologize because you all just excite my spirit. I want you 
to consider two things. Job said, when I consider the Lord, I fear him. The fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. The second thing is, the prophet declared, I would that they would consider their end. Tomorrow's not promised to anyone. The Bible said today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Don't harden your heart. God said, or you'll be cut off without hope of remedy. That's not you. There's hope for you this morning. There's a beautiful life in God, full of power and glory and blessing. But in order to get there, you need to make your heart an altar. You need to sacrifice your will, the altar of your own heart. Only you can do it. There was a young lady, she was 17 years of age. She attended a little storefront church, about 50 people with her mom and dad. She didn't want to go, but she went. The evangelist picked her out. He could tell that her heart wasn't right with God, and he went out to her, and he pleaded with her. Young lady, give your heart to Jesus. Do it now. She got angry. She said, you're embarrassing me in front of all these people. And what you don't know that I know is that every one of them in here is a hypocrite. I know them, I know how they live. And I refuse to ever come back here. The only way I'd ever be in this church again is if they found me dead on this altar. Two nights later, in her little car, too much to drink, she rounded the corner and went up over the curb, up into that little storefront and burst through the plate glass windows. She was thrown immediately through her own windshield. And when they found her, she was literally laying dead across that altar. Your Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You can fulfill your quota of dying today. You can give your life to Jesus Christ totally in full surrender. I believe you'll do it right now wherever you're watching in Columbus here in Elkhart, Indiana, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around this. Between you and God, will you offer your heart, your life on the altar of God today? Will you say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life and I'll live for you as you show me how. Would you do that today? Is there enough of the convicting power of God in these rooms, in that place where you are, to show you that God doesn't hate you, God's not mad at you, but he despises the sin in your life that has separated you from him. And today he stands ready, willing, and able to wash you in his blood, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, to give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone so you could serve him. 
I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, as Dr. Lowe plays, I surrender all on that beautiful organ, giving you the opportunity right now to say, Lord Jesus, right now, I surrender all. Will you do it? Will you be sure you're on your way to heaven before you leave this service today, however you're viewing it? I'm going to count to three. On three, eternity waits for no one. We don't look for death, but you better be reminded of this. Death is looking for you. This time tomorrow, I may be in heaven and you may not be. I pray not because God is giving you an opportunity right now to be free and to receive eternal life. On three, shoot that hand up in the air. We're going to pray. Hands are already going up here in Elkhart. One, two, three. Shoot that hand up in the air. Leave it up. Leave it up. Here's what I want you to do. You got to be brave and you got to be bold. Every person Jesus called, he called to make a public profession. You can't be a secret service Christian. If you raised your hand, when I say three, jump up on your feet. One, two, three. Do it right now, every one of you. That's it. That's it. That's it. Hallelujah. In Columbus, do the same. They're online. Type in the word save, S-A-V-E. We'll get in touch with you. We'll pray with you. But make that confession right now, save. Everybody's standing now, everybody. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now, just as I am, without one plea. I know your blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, Jesus, I come to you. Only you have never sinned. Only you can forgive me. I ask you to forgive me now. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me in your blood. Give me eternal life. In Jesus' name, I believe in you. I accept you. And with my mouth, I confess you as my Lord, my Savior. Amen. Amen. Now act like you believe. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.